0: Welcome to the Partnership for Resilient Communities Oral Storytelling Project. In each episode, you'll hear directly from movement leaders who are working to address the impacts of climate change and racial inequity on communities all across the U.S. Each will share in detail their on-the-ground approaches in the hopes that these stories may inspire and inform a new narrative that centers the true power of resilience. My name is uh, Lorena Andrade. I'm originally from Los Angeles and I live in El Paso, Texas. Growing up in, a, in our neighborhood, we were never taught about our history or not that I can remember. And when I went to the university, that's when I first discovered uh, Chicano studies, that there was a whole world there that I, that I uh, was learning about, began to get involved in uh, some of the activism, but also the learning about our history that I never had access to before, or I thought I didn't. Um, and when I heard about this organization and how it was organizing women and women workers, then it just felt like the next step for me. I it wasn't something that I thought about a lot. It just seemed like a just a natural next step. So well, I'm from a working class neighborhood and my parents always worked in factories, but I also grew up in in, commun- in a community. And La Mujer Obrera has has spoken about that, about how women are at the forefront of creating a community and defending our rights at that time um, in the factories. So I wanted, when I went to school, I wanted to study uh, pre-elementary education. Um, And that's something that I always say, we don't, sometimes we don't know all the things that we can study. You know, sometimes it's a teacher or things like that. I, I had no idea You know, I could be a historian (laughs) or I could, you know, Chicano studies, I learned that that existed when I went to to school and just the our professors and just the people around me just talking about the history, um, talking about um, our life and how that was important, meeting other women also um, that felt the same or we we felt like we needed to organize around something, you know, for a space for us at, at that school. So I, that's why I decided to study
1: that my degree is in Chicano studies. Uh, my name is Hilda Villegas. I'm from El Paso, Texas, and I'm living in El Paso, Texas. I'm from this neighborhood. So um, one of my mom, right there where I lived, there was this lady that was my mom's friend. And so um, she was working at Rayito El Sol, which, which is one of the programs from La Mujer Obrera. And so I was looking for a daycare and for my 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 kids, and so she she was telling us about how wonderful the daycare was and that they had all these different things. So, um, and that they were also constructing like some new apartments. So um, I came and applied for the daycare, and I and then I saw that they had like the apartment complexes that they were building, and so I wanted to apply because I've always lived with my mom, I really never thought I could be by myself. And like, I graduated from um, high school, I got my GD, but I never pursued a career. So I was working like in some factories. So when I came to the organization, then I also saw that they had a position at the reception area. And so I said, Oh, everything's like close by, you know, I would live there. And then like, I would open the door and the daycare was there. And then I would work like five minutes away. So yeah. And after that, then I started to to realize it was something different. Like, like Lorena, Lorena mentioned, like I, di- I didn't know that this um, world existed. And so I saw the women like fighting for, for our spaces. They were like women, they looked like my mom. And so I thought that they were like strong women. And so I, I decided to
0: stay here. So our organization is La Mujer Obrera. We're a garment worker organization in a community that was known as the Garment District. But as La Mujer Obrera, we've always been taught and we've always worked to create community, to work in collective, to imagine a future for us and a present for us where our identity is not imposed, that we're an infinite source of cheap labor. But when the garment industry left, um, if there's no more garment industry, then they don't need our families anymore. And so we, we we made a decision that we want to stay here We choose here. We want to create these relationships here, um, like we have been for generations. Um, And so a lot of our work is to defend our community, defend our schools, um, get rid of contamination, defend it against the forces that are trying to push us out. And then also think and plan and implement our vision as women. Um, And so what does that look like and how do we, with the knowledge in our community, create that alternative that we deserve as women and and our children and the future generations? So in La Mujer Obrera, that's always been the balance or the kind of two areas of work to defend against, but also to create and defend the spaces so we can think and plan and implement our vision and that we decide who we are, right? Right. And that identity is going to come from these relationships with each other and with the earth.
1: So I'm one of the lead organizers in Barrio Chamisal, And so we're, um, my job, well, my, lo que me toca a mi es este trabajar con la comunidad. Like I live here in the barrio, like I mentioned before. So my kids go to the school. And so, um, it's building that relationship with the residents and, um, looking as to how um, what's happening in our community is related to what's happening outside and how the decisions outside are affecting directly our communities, like being more v- like a v- vigilante the, from the outside world and what's happening in our barrio and organizing pretty much the residents on, around that. So it's obtaining that information that we that's being produced outside and, and putting it in ways that we can share it with the community and having that link between the outside and, and our community so that we can defend it. It's building that um, th- that defense for the barrio around environmental issues, around education. We've identified certain areas that we we know that it's important in, in the creation and that sustaining of the, that, com- that vision that La Mujer Obrera has, right? And so it's that link between the work of La Mujer Obrera, the neighborhood and the outside world, maintaining that balance. The Barrio chamisal is over I would say seven to 8,000 residents. And we're like situated in a neighborhood that historically was um, built. You know, we're like highly immigrant communities and, it, and the demographics have, it hasn't changed much, right? Because of the proximity to the border. And so we have a lot of traffic, uh, like high concentration of traffic there. But not only that, we also have, we've been, it's been taken over by, by the, the maquila trucks that serve Juarez, right? So they kind of just idle there um adjacent to our elementary schools like and like i said all these um building sources of pollution that surround us are like a few feet away from important spaces in our community like the elementary school savala and then like i mentioned that we have the border and another highway um and we have our our uh, high school which is boy high school it's also historic and then on the on the west side we have um Cotton Bridge, but then that area there is um, highly commercial, highly industrial area. And so um, that's pretty much um, the limits of our community, but you also have the built-in sources of pollution, right, that surround us. Um, A lot of these industrial areas are very outdated, and um, we also have the whole issue of a very outdated, unregulated industry situated in the Chamisal. We do see that um, there is no intent to really document that impact, especially because of the communities that you see those, um, those disparate um, impacts, right? And so the way we do document, the way we do uh, know that there is an impact is by talking to the residents, right? And talking to um, the moms that say that their children are, have been either not, not um, officially diagnosed but that they, they get sick a lot, and that they have to, they get like assigned, um, they get um, prescribed inhalers. Uh, we also saw a large number of um, cases. that were unreported at the housing complex on the side of rashes, like you mentioned. Um, there were uh, residents um, saying that they had um, severe allergies in their skins, and we saw it like an association to recycling facility that was. Um, recycling these heavy metals, you know, like copper lead and other other like industrial waste from what is that was not being monitored. And so those are the conditions to we see a large number of children being absent and sick to school. And those ones were recorded through a study that was conducted by UTEP, which is also it was back in the like 2010 that they conducted that study. And so they saw like a correlation between the the absences to like areas that were like the school that was situated right next to the international port of entry.
0: Well, for, for us in our community is really, what knowledge do we have? What practices do we, do I already have on a daily basis um, that help contribute to the, to a, a transition into a better Uh, community and uh, and uh and what practices do we have that already can heal those relationships or build the alternative right so whether it's i'm planting food or or flowers or trees in my community what is it that i i use to to nurture the earth so that i have better quality crops or um how how are we also a part of you know saving water um taking care of ourselves when the heat is is a lot, um, what methods are we already using, right? Also demanding certain things, getting rid of, like Ila was saying, getting rid of the recycling facility, um, getting rid of the trucks, but also how is that, what does that look like in our daily practice, in our daily lives as families, as members of our community um, and celebrating those things, um, celebrating through art, through music, uh, through gatherings, Uh, That's a big part of that sometimes is not spoken of when we're talking about defending the environment, that culture, that sense of community, that sharing of knowledge through different ways, being creative about it is very, very important. So what specific roles do uh, people of color have is holding on to that sense of community and really nurturing it, nurturing the place where we are, really fighting to stay in place, to stay in our communities. And to really defend our right to create those alternatives based on our knowledge that we already hold. Like, for example, with the North American Free Trade Agreement, that was a big thing that happened here. That's when we lost all of our jobs as women workers. One of the main things that it tries to do on both sides of the border is to dismantle community. So it really exploits our relationships. It exploits us as women and exploits uh, Mother Earth, right? So to us, it only makes sense that to fight against that or to live in a world where we're not defined by that is to create community. That's to us, that's the opposite. And we feel that it should be that way for anyone and everyone. So recycling is important and these individual actions are important, but at the base, it should be a collective practice.
1: Like Lorena said, being able to develop that collective practice and being able to highlight the knowledge and the creativity that that already exists within our community, viewing how our community has a lot of history and a lot of of practice that is hidden, that ha- it's not being recognized as because they are not environmentalists, right? Because they don't have a degree or they're not um they're not water harvesters because they're, they're, they didn't go to school to learn how to do that, right? But then when we, when we are here as leaders, we, we need to be, our role is to recognize that what's happening already in our community and being able to identify in it and being able to document it and sharing it, share it with others and create space where that is happening so that we start to believe that we are environmentalists. When it comes to El Paso, one of the major challenges is the fact that el paso is a very poor city and it's very underdeveloped and it's and and um we're having to not just deal with the underdevelopment of our communities but we now we also have to deal with the underdevelopment of the city and so when i say that it's it's very far behind it's we're very far away from having a city that it's progressive and that really wants to deal with climate change and climate crisis as a whole. In terms of, of, of successes, we've had a lot compared to, you know, to the, all these challenges that we face as a city. Um, we've been able to um, get an allocation of $11 million to build a community um, community center. Uh, com, uh come see, say we call it the Chamisal Community Center, but not just a community center, we were able to get another 11, uh, another $1 million to create a green space. And um, we've also filed a lawsuit that we won against EPA to change the designation of El Paso from attainment status under the Cleaner Act to non-attainment, which is something major, because you're talking about the state of Texas and then also a region area, right? That's affected by the pollution from, from Mexico. And um, we've been able to, to deal with that too.
0: We always understand that we've lived in a community and that they consider us a group that is not worth the investment, right? That it's more cost-effective to leave us out than to invest in our in our daily lives in our children that we see that in the school district we're not going to invest in those schools it's a decision because it's not cost effective as women when we were laid off from the factories same thing Um, but there was a level of brutality these past few years that was at a, a a different level the lack of humanity in the part of those that were making decisions and the lack of interest about what it meant to women and children and just um it was definitely louder than than usual um our successes in our in our past year is that when things were 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 getting uh like I said at at this point we we gathered as community we celebrated who we were um and I can't uh can underestimate the power of our, our culture, of our music, of our paintings, of our poetry, of our playing with, um, with our kids um, and cooking together, sharing that with each other. Um, I think that that's one of the successes that we've had a, as a community, as well as, you know, what what Hilda has mentioned, but that every day, despite things that are happening, we find joy in the lives um, that we live here. We find the beauty in our community. We say, I love my community because um, and let me share this with you. Uh, and so to me, that has been one of the biggest successes that to be able to see that we as a community are, can resist and we do it also with joy and still demanding that we define who we are. I guess the, the, the advice that I would give um, leaders of color or, or people that would like to be, become organizers would be is to listen to the community in which you're working in really become a part of that community. Sometimes assumptions are made because maybe we use a different language. Maybe if we went to school, there's different language that is used, but with a different worldview, there's a different language that is used to express um, our struggles, to express our uh, our way of life. To me, that that's uh, one of the uh, the most most important things when you're starting out, um, that willingness to listen, to, to learn different ways of speaking, to learn way, different ways of seeing.
1: When you're going to start doing this work is really have a very big, uh, like an open mind and you have to be ready to, to really see yourself as not as individual, but see yourself as a collective practice, like a collective effort. And you always have to not um, like, I think, like Lorena said, not assuming things would really help as they, um, The other thing that I do, um, that I do advise is that, especially if you're working in your community, and you're fully immersed in that community, you can't apply the same criteria, the same, um, the way you assess certain things from the outside perspective, right? And so, I think you really need to get out of that little box that they put us in all the time so that you can really fully understand and really work in your community. And so every time there's something happening in the community, there's always, it's a learning process. We always learn, even from our mistakes, right? It's just being able to recognize that anything we do is leading us to where we have to go, right? Everything that, every effort, every work we do in the community, Um, it's gonna it's gonna inform us as to where we have to go and so you always have to be grounded and you always have to be very clear as to where you're going to right so that you don't get distracted from anything that's happening outside and you don't get discouraged and it really doesn't affect you because it happens all the time and I think that that's gonna really help you help you keep you grounded and and also help you keep uh, healthy, right? Because like Lorena said, it's also a matter of how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of our minds and how we actually visualize that so that we can do this work.
0: Thank you for listening to the Partnership for Resilient Communities Oral Storytelling Project. We hope this segment left you with inspiring insights into the important work at the intersection of climate resilience and racial equity. This storytelling series was developed through support from the Institute for Sustainable Communities.